This is the Shift Podcast. And I am Bruce Clackett in for Shane Hewitt on the Shift. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, only one Canadian city made a list of the best cities to live in and travel to if you happen to be in your 30s. Can you guess which one? Travel expert Claire Newell takes us through the best tourism cities and gives us a fresh dose of travel tips just in time for the summer. Ryan O'Donnell is the millennial on the radio and he takes a look at how the monarchy is struggling to relate to younger people and looks also into why Airbnb is getting a fresh dose of regulations in this country. Are you okay with ChatGPT or ChatGPT sermons? And how about swimming pools? All of that on the Shift Daily Podcasts. This is the Shift Podcast. Now, I came across this the other day and found it just to be a little bit odd or off. But, you know, quite a few of those listener surveys that talk about Canada put together by those outside of the country are just a tad off. Travel and Leisure publishes a list of the best places to live or travel. Puts them all into one list, by the way. If you happen to be in your 30s, of those nine, nine global cities, one is in Canada. Guess what? It is Vancouver. Really? Now, don't get me wrong. I love Vancouver. Really do. But it is expensive. And even for places to travel to in this country, I would think that those in their 30s might want to think about, say, Montreal first, perhaps even Ottawa. And a good argument could be made for Toronto. So when it comes to talking about travel, there is no one better than Claire Newell of Travel Best Bets. Claire, great to have you with us. Oh, thanks so much, Bruce. Oh, you're welcome. This this one first. This is odd. Vancouver, really? Yeah, I know. I I actually read through this list and then I had to read through and think, okay, this says to travel and to live in your 30s. Which is odd enough that they combine the two, but that's fine. Yeah, and by real estate experts. So I get it. I I went through this list. Number one was Denver. So it's an interesting list. Um, A lot of American cities are in this and one Canadian and then some that were over in Europe. And maybe we should just go through them. So number one was Denver and yep. um, number two, New York city, number three, Zurich. And number Let's just four, stop Austin. there. Let's okay. stop there for a second. Denver. Uh, I've never been to um, my wife has been to it. Loves it. Great city kind of new for, you know, those in their thirties uh, offers a lot, but I wouldn't think number one in the world what no, do I, I don't think so either. Um, however, they put down the medium home value. And oh, yeah. in February of 2023, when you have it at $560,000, that's a pretty affordable option for a lot of people. But then the next on the list, number two, was New York City. And I thought, wow, yeah. that's a really... But I do know a lot of people, even including a lot of Canadians, my kids are in their early 20s and they have friends who've graduated from university and are you know, starting off their careers in New York City and then will end up coming back home. It is a fun place to be. It is extraordinarily expensive. In fact, most yeah. of these kids that I know, half their paycheck or more is going to their rent and they're sharing with two, three, four people and not close to the city. So it'll be interesting um, for, for people who who have been there, who have traveled there, who love it, because I love it, but it's pricey. Oh, yeah. Oh, it sure is. But you know what? Zurich is on here <laughs> talking yeah, about pricey. Yeah, it is pricey as well, but the average person earns about eighty, eighty-two, eighty-three thousand $83,000. So it's, you know, a high, um, high on a lot of people's list as Canadians, uh, as Canada is too. And that's simply because it's just a happy place to people for people to live well-educated, great healthcare system, lots of job security. So I think for, for many, they look to this and say, okay, it's got great infrastructure. It's really outdoorsy. And you know, if you're in your thirties and you want to hike and bike and go mountain climbing and skiing, those that's a draw for you. You know, another one, if we extend this out top five, uh, Austin, Texas, I get that Austin, got uh, South by Southwest and uh, it's kind of a cool city. It's and, a great if you're yeah. a, if you're a music lover and again 
the the housing prices, um, the suburbs, they, the average house is around three hundred and fifty thousand dollars in the in the city. Like in the, yeah. it's about five hundred and sixty thousand, which is still around that price of Denver. But it's really fun. It's got tons of universities around. That whole music and comedy and food scene is really really great. And for the uninitiated, when we talk Texas, uh, sometimes something comes to mind. But Austin is a really kind of liberal city, a big university city. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's a it's a fun place to be. And goodness knows a lot of people are moving to Texas um, if they, they live in the U.S. simply because of the tax situation there. Texas is a good place to be for tax. Then there's this one. Number five, wonderful, wonderful Copenhagen, Denmark. Wow, such a beautiful city. I've had lots of people um, that have wa- are choosing to go there this summer. I have friends um, there actually now. And my son in his university, he had the opportunity to do exchanges. And some of his closest friends actually were in Copenhagen. So he, he was close by. He was in Helsinki, Finland. So he spent a lot of time in Copenhagen. And we as a family have also traveled there. It's a beautiful place it's very cold and it has really short days Mm. in the winter um but it's very very safe they've got a great healthcare system um a beautiful place but it's very very expensive and when my a a lot of denmark uh biking is a huge thing right yeah it is well in the summer months um especially it's really really bike friendly and i think that um when you're visiting though this is a, a place that you end up going typically four months of the year. Weather-wise, it's nice to be there. But boy, oh boy, it is expensive to stay. I mean, we're we're talking like 500 euro a night during the, the peak season um, minimum. And it's really expensive to take cabs and things. My son, it was for him, it was the price of a beer that really got him. He's like, mom, it's so expensive. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, you judge, you judge places by certain things. I look at the hotel prices in the cab. He looked at the beer. Well, you know, even uh, having a beer in Dublin, Ireland, I was shocked at how expensive it can be. Uh, Beer is not necessarily cheap in some of the key areas around the world. No, and one thing that I should do while we're going through this is makes me think of this website that I often go to, which does look at the cost of things that are just the normals, like bread and a cup of coffee and and a, a simple meal out. It's called Numbio, and you can Google it and it's N-U-M-B-E-O, and it really just takes a look, look at the things that you'll be spending on. What is a cab ride? And so um, it, I would encourage people, before you ever set out on going somewhere, because one of the other places on the list was Stockholm, Sweden, yep. and it is also really, really expensive. Oh, yeah. I remember getting out of it, and Dubai was another. It's not on this top nine um, list, but um, a, a cab ride was very similar. It was about $75 for less than a 10-minute cab ride in both of those cities when I've been. So just to keep in mind, look at what it's going to cost you when you arrive rather than um, just the cost of the plane ticket and the accommodation. You know, also on here on this list, and not an overly expensive city, is Portland, Oregon. Um, now, I love Portland. I, I would argue it's uh, 10 years past its prime. About 10 years ago, it was like everyone talked about the beer culture. Um, yeah. But it's still a really cool city, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And there's lots to do. Talking about you were saying that Copenhagen is really bike friendly. So is Portland. And um, it, it reminds me of a little bit of a Vancouver slash Whistler. Lots of you're walking the people walking their dog. Everyone's outside. It has the mountains and the, the Columbia River Gorge that's close by. It's just it's tons of outdoor adventures. And I think a lot of young people really love that, whether you're hiking and doing wind sports or skiing. They have it all there. Um, it's not as expensive as some of the other big cities. And so it's a huge draw for, for people in their 30s at the moment. And you said the whole beer culture. Yeah, that craft brew. And yeah. there, it's been popular, like you say, for a long time, for, say, the past 10 years. And they did a really great job of marketing. It came into its own much like the, around the time of Iceland. And so... Iceland and Portland were doing these unbelievable marketing jobs to get people down there because, you know, what's to say Portland is better than Vancouver, but the marketing of Portland, it's the same thing with 
Iceland, there wasn't a lot going on. There was nothing there. It was 300,000 people. They they didn't have the accommodation, the infrastructure to be able to, to get uh, and take care of all the people that wanted to flock there. They do now. Um, oh, but Portland yeah. does as well. You know, so it's, it's one of those places. It, they did a great job of marketing that. And I mean, people were going down just like maybe Nashville or Vegas now. People want to go there and they want to do their bachelorette parties or their guys trips, the girls trips. It's a well, fun they also city. have the food carts um, big yes. all over the city. Yeah, they do. Like much like a lot of the great European cities that have all these really cool food truck cultures. I remember being in Berlin and our kids were around 16, 17 at the time. And you're allowed to have a beer at 15 in Germany. And they, they were like, this is the coolest place I've ever been. Yeah. These food trucks and these all this cool beer. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, exactly. Oh, by the way, uh, Portland also has voodoo donuts. And if I'm by myself going through Portland, uh, the family always wants me to go to Voodoo Donuts. And the other place that now has an outlet for Voodoo Donuts, by the way, is Denver. Uh, oh, really? It, yeah. Okay. So I'm there you go. Voodoo Both Donuts down. I've, I've never even heard of Voodoo Donuts. So now oh, I'm like feeling really out of it. Okay. Oh, this okay. is huge. If you're in Portland, you go to Voodoo Donuts. And there are some other places now competing. Uh Let's move along. There are some things to talk about in terms of travel, Claire. Glad we've got you here. This is the other one. Uh, in my mind, with uh, summer being here, it's great to stay close to home. But some of us do travel to some popular hotspots because traditionally in the summertime, it's not as popular. And some of those great deals are out there. But I've seen these stories about uh, where it is safe to go and not to go. I know from Vancouver, some of the places that traditionally were still open for travel in the summer with limited uh, choices, but still open, mm -hmm. were places in Mexico and Cuba. Now we're hearing more of these stories about Mexico and it being dangerous. Well, the Americans say it's dangerous. Um, right. Where where do we stand with that? What's the recommendation now? Yeah, my, my recommendation is that uh, use our Canadian government's website, which is okay. travel.gc.ca. So that's a fan. It's actually should be your first go-to when you're trying to decide on a destination. And the, we should keep in mind that the Canadian tour operators, which are WestJet vacations or Canada vacations, trans they are all going to places that are really popular and they don't want the Canadian, the Canadian passengers that they're taking down to be unsafe. So wherever you're looking at going, if a Canadian tour operator is going and you are staying in a, a, a resort, a resort area, and you're not going uh, through, you know, you're not going down to local bars and partying too hard and drinking too much and walking on uh, unlit streets and, and doing things that you really are against what most people would consider their common sense, then you're going to be okay. But there are, there are dangers no matter where you go and what, where you're traveling to. So there's several different levels of advisories. Mm. And that's what you need to look at when you're going to a destination for many, you'll actually see a higher rating than you think. And you to a place that you really want to go to, and it, it might be somewhere that's really common and lots of Canadians are going to, but what will be, show is where and why so uh, is that civil unrest is there um situations of crime and where specifically is that is it border areas is it areas where maybe there's drug situations and and concerns so no matter where you're going you can actually put in the, the country and then it will list all of the information that website travel.gc.ca is really important for lots of different things if you are wondering what the exit and entry requirements are. Does your passport need certain amount of validity, three months, four months, eight months um, from your departure from that particular country? Do you need shots? Do you need um, other information like a visa or an ETA, electronic travel authorization? Like people need to come here. You you have to get that within 70, well, 48 to 72 hours before you go to yeah. certain places like New Zealand. Um, and people have to get it to come here. So a lot of countries are doing that. In fact, the entire EU is likely doing that very soon. So um, it's something that you need to look at. This website has that. But one of the other things, and Bruce, you and yeah. I have known each other over a long time, and I'm hoping yeah. that you'll have listened and you do this. Do you register your trips before you leave no, Canada? No, I'm bad. No, I, oh, I don't. 
Okay, I, I so don't. You're hurting so let's my talk heart. about why I should. Let's uh, break the habit here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this is something that's so easy to do when you're looking in there. And once you've actually booked your trip, you can go to the same website, travel.gc.ca. I know I sound like a broken record. I just want um, all of the listeners out there to do this. Whenever you're leaving Canada, you can go on this site and you can have multiple trips at any given time on there. Um, and all you need is like three minutes. You put in your first name, well, your legal name, your passport number, where you're going, what the dates are, and contact information. So if something goes sideways, it could be a volcano. Look what's happening <laughs> in the big island of Hawaii yeah. right now. Um, it could be um, smoke, uh, the situation. It could be a tsunami, a vol- uh, uh, an earthquake, anything, civil unrest. The government can get in touch with you. And one so the thing that comes to mind was um, there were people who were in Los Cabos, Mexico over the summer months, not a time where there's typically hurricanes. One happened. Many people who did not do this didn't know that there were recognizance flights getting Canadians back to Canada um, because flights weren't going in and out. So some people were just trying to find their own situation, going to um, bigger cities in Mexico. And it was a nightmare. But for those who booked through travel agents, they were being contacted by their travel agencies and the ones who didn't, at least if they were registered at the, the Canadian government's website, they were at least in contact and knew about these flights that were coming back. That is good to know. And uh, I'm going to do it for the next trip, for sure. Okay, good. Okay, Love promise it. me that. <laughs> <laughs> there was some other news this week. Uh, let's touch on some of these other stories like Swoop. Swoop yeah. uh, WestJet is getting rid of it, eh? That's the discount airline. Yeah, a lot of people were surprised by this. I mean, some people I've spoken to in media, I was not surprised. I mean, this is this industry I've been in for 30 years. And um, you, you keep in mind, WestJet owns Swoop. Swoop is 16 planes. Uh, WestJet's mainline carrier is 180 aircraft. They were trying to keep it separate. The reason they brought on Swoop back, they announced it in 2017. They started flying in 2018, so five years um, they were trying to compete with some of the low-cost carriers that were in the marketplace here in Canada. There's now way too many. Um, and so they don't need to compete. Um, they And they've also had the issues of, you know, two sets of contracts for the pilots. And if you were a swoop pilot, you wanted what WestJet pilots were getting. And <laughs> same with the in-flight crew. So it was yeah. more of a headache for them. So now they're rolling it in. What we'll likely see is we'll see that WestJet, will offer a really ultra low cost fare. Those are the bare bones type fares where you just get your base fare and you pay for everything else. If you want to check a bag, if you want to get seat assignment, if you want to get um, perf- you know, um, get on board, like uh, preferred seat, um, get when you get on, um, all of that will come into play, um, I would suspect to compete. This is all gonna be happening, they said by the end of October, um, but it did not come as a surprise to me. Okay. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And we always see these type of changes uh, in the Canadian uh, airline industry. Uh, Anything else that's uh, popping to mind? Well, just it was interesting um, yesterday when um, Prime Minister Trudeau made that announcement from Kiev that he was seizing an aircraft that's actually been on the ground at Toronto Pearson since February of uh, 2022 and that it will be transferred to the Ukraine. It's a massive cargo uh, aircraft that is um, an Antonov, which is a, they call AN one two four. So this is a massive plane. Huge. If you I've Google seen it. them before. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're really big. So it's just interesting that um, he made that surprise visit and made that announcement of that's now seized aircraft that will be transferred. Wow, um, yeah. and that's that's kind of cool. Anything else? Yeah, one last quick thing. Um, a big reminder: it came on Daily Hive, uh, where I live, which is Vancouver, and it was um, just reminding people that Air Canada, it's not just Air Canada though, are actually weighing carry-on luggage. So they're getting really strict. So many people are doing carry-on only. We saw the massive seas of luggage last summer. We hope that that won't happen, but a lot of people aren't willing to to take that risk, so they are doing carry-on only. I was recently on a trip um, doing Egypt, Jordan, and Turkey, and I did carry-on. My whole family did carry-on only. Mm-hmm. And on our very first flight, was, which was a Lufthansa flight, because we flew to Cairo through Munich, um, our carry-on bags were weighed. So even if you feel like you've got the right size bag and you're going to be able to do it, if you've got books in there, you're not going to get that on board. Um, so make well, sure. Exactly. 
Yeah. So make sure you're, you're checking not only the size, but the weight restrictions of all the carriers. So we were on uh, three different carriers during our, oh, four different carriers during our trip. And we packed for the weight of the lightest one and the size of the smallest one. Oh, good. You know, Claire, uh, whatever goes out has to come back plus some. And when I yes. say that, uh, <laughs> I've been caught with this before where you see something really cool and it uh, kind of weighs some, uh, it has some heft to it and you yeah. don't necessarily want to ship it. So that goes into your carry on. You have to account for that too, don't you? Yeah, you do. And um, if it's something that is, you know, really heavy, then what you might want to do is just buy a cheap duffel or whatever and check that, but you will likely, they will not let you carry it on. It will become checked bag anyway. And it'll, and it's hard, especially when you've packed your carry on and you might have glasses or medication or things you might need in flight. And they say, actually, no. So you're scrambling to pack, put that into either the backpack or tote bag or whatever your personal bag is. It's a nightmare. So just account for it all. Like you say, if you think you might buy something, then account for that. <laughs> and some <laughs> things weigh more than others. Claire, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Bruce. This is the Shift Podcast. The Millennial on the radio. It's Ryan O'Donnell. Oh, well, hello, friends. Happy Monday. Let's start this week off well. And I can guarantee your week is probably off to a better start than several uh, very professional and unfortunate British soldiers in the army over in the UK. So... Uh, what the heck am I talking about? Well, let me tell you, the, the monarchy has not done, I would say, a great job at uh, recovering their image since uh, the death of Queen Elizabeth II, as well as just, I would say, younger people in general caring more about the legacy of colonialism and that history uh, as it's been taught to us. And so, you know, the monarchy, if it wants to uh, keep its appeal, it needs to be creative. It needs to be forward thinking. It needs to push, uh, you know, a different uh, view uh, to the younger folks, uh, for me and younger, to, you know, keep them interested in what is a ancient, ancient, uh, you know, institution that's been around since uh, the current iteration has been around since I believe the 1660s and has gone through you know, civil wars and, and, and ups and downs and lots of famous Kings and Queens. And we're at a pretty tumultuous time in the Royal family's, uh, you know, longevity. And honestly, 50 years from now, I don't actually think it's still going to be a thing for Canada. I don't think so. I think it will change. Now we may still have, the monarchy, but as an official head of state, that might change, especially as more young people uh, become uh, persons of power in, in Canada. And I mean, the stats speak for themselves. Less than 40% of young people like the monarchy compared to over 60% of older generations. That's a pretty steep drop off. Now, will that change as we get older? It could. But right now, they're going to have to get creative to boost those numbers. And right now, they're not doing a particularly good job. because, And a perfect example of that is what happened over the weekend. Uh, so King Charles' birthday is coming up. He's turning 4,000 years old. And a part of his birthday celebration is a big parade. There's this huge, uh, it's kind of like the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. You know, it's not quite the same level of spectacle, but uh, there is a procession. There's soldiers in the proper uniform with the funny big hats and uh, the beautiful red uniforms. And I will say, I love the spectacle of this. It's my favorite part of the monarchy is the spectacle of these ceremonies that have been done a certain way for thousands of years. I think that is one of the cool parts. However, they may have a bit of an issue here. And that is because over the weekend, it was very hot in the UK. Very hot. Climate change has not been kind to many countries on Earth, but the UK is certainly one of them. It was 30 degrees in London over the weekend. And put yourself in the shoes of one of these, or the boots, I should say, of one of these soldiers. You are standing out with that giant big hat on in your full coat, no shorts. 
You are playing a trombone in 30 degree heat standing outside consistently as a prince, Prince Harry in this, uh, in this particular, uh, instance is, uh, basically doing a little walkthrough to see how are things going to go for my dad, you know, when we celebrate his birthday next week, what could go wrong? Well, several British soldiers were overcome by that heat and actually fainted, passed out during this giant parade. So, uh, oh, sorry, it was Prince William, not Harry. Uh, so at least three guardsmen fainted during the parade, which is known as the Colonel's Review, in which more than 1,400 soldiers of the Household Division and King's Troop Royal Horse Artillery, which is a cool name objectively, were reviewed by Prince William, who is the heir to the throne and is the honorary colonel of the Welsh Guards. So 30 degrees out. And the video, of course now we have video. If there's a blunder, somebody's going to catch it on the internet. Is pretty objectively striking and it almost looks like it's out of a comedy stretch. Sketch, I should say. So you can actually see the soldiers and the music starts with one of the guards already unconscious on the ground, holding his trombone as he's surrounded by a bunch of other. The music starts, and the guard that's on the ground starts to try to play, but can't. And then you see a bunch of, of, uh, of medical personnel run over. And as they get close to the guard, you can see another soldier getting stretched off in the, in the distance. It looks like it's a Benny Hill sketch. And then, I have a clip of it here, you can actually hear the crowd clap as this soldier somehow manages to get back on his feet. Somehow. Somehow. And so afterwards, Prince William tweets... A big thank you to every soldier who took part in the Colonel's review this morning in the heat. Difficult conditions, but you all did a really good job. Later shared some photos of the parade, writing, quote, hard work and preparation that goes into an event like this is a credit to all involved, especially in today's conditions, which I think, yep, that's good. <laughs> um, but how do you think, like, my generation are going to look at this? They're going to see a video of these polar soldiers passing out in the heat uh, because, you know, they have to do a practice parade for the king. And so, you know, of course, they're going to make fun of it and see it as unnecessary. And it is definitely, I would say, a pretty uh, unfortunate blunder for an organization that's trying to keep people hooked. Hey, Ryan, it, I, yeah. I got to ask, though, is this not inspiration for a work ethic? You're right. Oh, hey, absolutely. That's the thing. These are some of the most well-trained soldiers in the world. I've been to Buckingham Palace, well, not inside, obviously, but I've been to London and I got to watch the changing of the guard, which is an incredible experience. It is a cool tourist attraction, right? Like getting to see these soldiers that march in perfect unison, that are trained to be stoic and completely stand still, not be distracted by any annoying tourist. Uh, I've, I've seen that and that worked at that dedication is incredible. And the question that I think these, that, uh, some millennials and Gen Z are asking are, are these soldiers dedicated, you know, in their work ethic to the monarchy or because they like to be a good soldier? And, you know, there, those are the kinds of things. Can you have that level of dedication without being dedicated to a king or a queen? Like, see what it's I your mean? your country, like that's, it's your monarch. Yeah. Is the whole part of it? Is the, is the whole part of it? Does it have to be the whole part of it? Well, These there are the you go, and that that could be that the generation. Asking. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's the questions that people are asking. And so, for me, you know, uh, I don't, I don't really care all that much about the monarchy. I think the history of it is cool, but I think it is objectively kind of weird that we talked about citizenship on the ship last week. I think it's kind of weird that when you pledge to become a Canadian citizen, you pledge loyalty to King Charles still. I think that's weird. Like if I had to take the oath tomorrow and I saw that, I would understand why I, I would be like, really? Oh, okay. Like I'll say it. Sure. But cause I like being Canadian. Um, but you, these are the things that are not working in the monarchy's favor. And you know, if they want to, uh, you know, adjust, and, 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 and get with the times, I would say like a Gen Z and millennial 
king or queen would probably say, hey, it's 30 degrees outside. Maybe let's postpone the thing or we don't need to do a rehearsal. Let's trim down the parade this year. That's the kind of thing that I think people are looking for. It's called grit. It is grit, <laughs> yes. It is grit. And yeah, Bill what and an Hamilton. interesting perspective. You yeah. see, I, I grew up, I'm Gen X, you know, yep. at the tail end of Gen X, you know, the older end of Gen X, but Gen X. And yep. uh, I always had QE2 around my whole life, from Cub yep. Scouts all the way up. We even, uh, in elementary school, I think we sang God Save the Queen in public school. We sang that uh, for the first couple of years. I find it odd now. I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of weird, but there you go. And that's why you yeah. travel if you've got the money. Travel. Yeah, there you Segway. go. Segway. Segway, yeah. I will just say quickly, though, that Bill in Hamilton, uh, he raises a good point. As a combat veteran, you have to understand the training. You continue your mission no matter what the situation. You have to commitment in order to achieve your goals in and out of war, which is exactly what these soldiers are trained to do. And I will never discount that training. I think what they do, the fact that that soldier got back up on his feet and tried to play the trombone and only got on the stretcher because one was provided to him is incredible. Uh, the question is, do we need to put these soldiers in those situations? That's, I think, one of the questions that the monarchy will probably be uh, looking at, and and Ch King Charles and all of them uh, as well. And uh, <laughs> which is funny that this is happening at the same time when Prince uh, Harry is dealing with the tabloid uh, yeah. thing against the sun and all that. Oh, it's an interesting time to be. Uh, it is an interesting time observer. indeed. Yeah. Uh, but yes, back to the travel thing. The travel, yes, had an of course. Segue. Yeah, um, <laughs> and uh, you love yeah. travel. I do love travel. I mean, I don't. How come you don't travel often. all the time? Money, <laughs> money, uh, money. I mean, that's that's the number one issue and the number one reason why I don't travel. There are two roadblocks to travel. It's expensive and expensive. Those are the two roadblocks. You know, not only do you have to pay for the flights or maybe the, you know, the drive or the gas to drive or the bus ride, however, or the ferry, whatever it is, you also have to pay for the food and you have to pay for, you know, I want to go tickets to go to a museum or go see a show, but you also got to find a place to stay. And that is getting increasingly more uh, complicated. When I was a kid, even as a millennial, there was no such thing as Airbnb. No, 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 no. There were hotels, motels, and hostels. That was it. And oh, and bed and breakfasts, of course, which I stayed in a bed and breakfast in, in the UK, by the way. And I did have the best breakfast of my life in a British bed and breakfast. Ten points there. They still do breakfast the best. But the now in 2023, we have Airbnb. We have these uh, and VRBO. I'm not sure actually if VRBO is in Canada. I think it is. Mm. But. You know, we've got these uh, these services where you, let's say I own a home as a millennial, not going to happen, but, you know, I own a home and I've got a basement suite. I can use that basement suite as an Airbnb. You can come stay at my place for 10 days and then you're out. Or in my partner, Laura's case, Laura is uh, completing school in Ontario and their practicum is outside of their university in a different city. So they got an Airbnb for two months. It's cheaper than trying to find a place to rent, short-term rentals. And it works in those situations. However, there are now a lot of Airbnbs. There are now a lot of people that can barely afford to live in their homes. So they rent out their places to stay to help subsidize and to make sure that they can afford their homes. But the issue that that is creating is it's harder now for people to find places to live, especially in tourist towns. If you go to a place like Banff, half the houses, you know, people would want to turn into Airbnbs. You might not be able to, but they're flooding the market. And it's creating an interesting sort of issue where is it possible for affordable housing, rentals, and Airbnb-style places to coexist? Can it happen? And it's getting a little bit out of control. And there's now a little bit of a push for regulation. Uh-oh, regulation. However, you might think it's warranted or not after hearing this. So this is Ann Gaviola, who is Global's Consumer Matters reporter. And she takes a going to take a quick look here at some of the impact of these short-term rentals. The empirical evidence is very clear 
that both before the pandemic and now after the pandemic, the short-term rentals are playing a major role in uh, making housing less affordable. People have been evicted and then the landlord puts these places on Airbnb, makes, you know, double or triple the amount of money a month um, than they did renting to a long-term tenant. There are rules in Canada's two most expensive cities to crack down on so-called super hosts who own multiple units and rent them on home-sharing platforms, siphoning housing stock for profit. Data firm AirDNA says regulation has made a difference. Most people respect the law, and as a result, when you enact these regulations, yeah, it really slows the, the growth in, in listings. And Airbnb tells Global News it works closely with policymakers to ensure rules are followed. The San Francisco-based company says most of its users are renting space within their home to help make ends meet. In Canada, 53% of our hosts say they use income from hosting to cover the cost of living. 47% uh, say it's helped them stay in their homes. And yet the data shows that there are ways to get around laws. Yeah, there, there are, you know, so there's uh, some loopholes where, uh, you know, you can't, you know, uh, have uh, a Airbnb if you're not regulated or approved, but you can if it's for a certain amount of time. There's a lot of loopholes that people have found. And so there's an interesting push for regulation in Quebec. It's called Bill 25. It passed last week and it's in response to that fire from a few months ago, seven people died at a property that was hosted in Montreal uh, on Airbnb, but it was operating without a license. It was an illegal Airbnb, and several of the people that died in that fire were staying there when they never should have been able to stay there in the first place. And so Quebec's rules, which I think are a good blueprint for even outside of Quebec, and I've talked about rental properties across the country and uh, uh, many times here yeah. on Millennial on the Radio. And Quebec is is usually a bit of a trendsetter as to what rentals look like. It, they they kind of set the stone and other provinces follow. So their new rules for Airbnb style companies see short term rental platforms like Airbnb be made responsible to actually verify that the properties advertised on their platform are properly licensed. And if a host is found to be operating outside of those regulations, Airbnb are the ones that will face the penalties. So that's a good regulation in my book. That is incentivizing Airbnb to ensure its listings are above board. And I know Handy Andy Barrar, who's on the show, has an Airbnb. Handy Andy Barrar is a great Airbnb host. He tells us about it all the time. He likes that business as a side thing that he does. He's always looking to find ways to make his place cooler. And it's a it's it's a great business thing for him. I don't think see any issue with that whatsoever. But I kind of think that it's crazy that up until like now, you could in Quebec and in many places across the country just list a place on Airbnb. And if it was illegal or against, you know, not allowed, Airbnb would basically face no consequences. Yeah. That's just, you're just inviting these kinds of tragedies to happen in that regard. Now, the other thing here, Ryan, is every time you have rules, you have to have enforcement. You mm -hmm. can't just uh, say the rules are and expect a magic team of uh, enforcement police to come in and to crack down. So is it going to work? Come back to that question all the time. Is it going to work? We'll have to see. We'll have to see. And I look, there is definitely a place for Airbnb in, in I would say, our, this sort of uh, demand style economy that we have now where there's, you know, people are, are you know, renting, they're driving Uber. They're, you know, renting out handyman services. I just booked a handyman for my apartment, for my move-in to help me hang up shelves. You know, like I couldn't do that 10 years ago. Uh, like that kind of stuff is cool, but there has to be limits. And yes, I, I really hope that the enforcement does work on this because uh, we have to keep these prices in check too. J uh, Jonathan John just got back from a trip to LA to California and Disney, and I was just looking at the prices. It like it they're like two hundred dollars a night for an is Airbnb. Is that true, Jonathan? Yeah, I'm looking at it right yeah, now. Yeah, it's expensive. Really? You want to yeah. stay? Let's go. Where uh, uh, Disney is uh, in Anaheim, right? It's just yeah. that's it's which is north or is that that's south. south? South. So let's see here. Okay, so if I wanted to stay, I'm looking at a big map. 
if whole oh, if I wanted to stay close to Disney, it's four hundred and twenty four dollars a night in an Airbnb. I think you're probably better to just like go to a hotel, which are still viable options, by the way. Uh, yeah, so you, you know, be be careful here. The Airbnb world has a lot of benefits. But I think it's probably for the best if we can find ways to properly regulate it, to keep people safe, to make sure there's enough affordable housing for people that are still looking for it. And uh, that, you know, I don't think every single house in a neighborhood needs to have a rentable basement. You know, the other thing there, you better know your hoods. Uh, And, you know, if uh, you take a look at Anaheim, two blocks to the west, two blocks to the south, you're in trouble. Uh, You don't want to stay in that B&B. Oh yeah, and they won't tell you about that, right? Like they won't say this neighborhood has a high crime rate. There's a, like you know, you got to do research too. Uh, so all that fun on the internet. Ugh. Sometimes it is just nicer to like call a hotel. I know where you are, and I know what I'm gonna get from it. There you go. Thank you. I know the sheets have been bleached, so that's fine. Okay, millennial on the radio, Ryan O'Donnell. Always great to hear your uh, perspective. Oh, the young Ryan O'Donnell, millennial on the radio. This is the Shift Podcast. And it is time to check in and see what you are okay with. It is. Are you? Are you? Are you? Okay. 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 Are you okay with? Okay. First one is, are you okay with chat GPT? I mean... Okay, I'll give you a little story. So this is a little sneak peek. <laughs> so a couple last year on the shift, we had Eric Lightkeon, and that's the guy who was a former Adidas executive. Uh, he's working. Uh, he put out a fully plant-based shoe. I have been since sent a shoe, and we're putting together a review, which will debut first on the shift, then on YouTube and all that. It's really cool. And as we've been filming this video. Uh, we were wrapping it up and I'm sitting there, the camera's rolling. I've got it in my hands. And I said to the guy filming it, my buddy, Jason, I said, I have no idea how to end this. And I looked at him and says, I'm literally just going to type right the outro for a YouTube review about a plant-based sneaker. And ChatGPT within 10 seconds wrote a very, very good outro for the video, which we then made very obvious and actually used. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. So it's scary what this technology can do. Although I will say it's still like, it still doesn't feel quite human in a way, but uh, I think this technology like 10 years from now is going to be life changing. Well, I, and I think that's key, Ryan is 10 years from now, it is going to be worked out and uh, you're going to get some of the nuances of some of the creativity and all that worked into it. It's not just going to be data coming up with the most obvious thing based on the data that already exists. So I've got reservations, but uh, I would say, yeah, I'm okay with ChatGPT, especially the future of it in the next versions. Jonathan? Oh, well, with ChatGPT, it's all right for me. I mean, you know that it's, it's not really like actually human because every time i generate something it doesn't seem realistic yeah yeah it's like it's like kind of rough around the edges and i always do that I'm like because before i go to bed i'm like chat gpt generate a bedtime story for me before i go to bed and it's something i like to read all the time you know but we're getting more examples jonathan and ryan of uh, chat gpt popping up in different sorts of places like patrons at a church in Germany flocked to Sunday service that was officiated by ChatGPT. The ChatGPT chatbot personified by an avatar of a bearded black man on a huge screen above the altar preached to more than 300 people. All right, this is what it looks and sounds like to attend a mass led by artificial intelligence. Hundreds of churchgoers attending that service during Germany's Convention of Protestants. The 40-minute service was put together by a 29-year-old theologian and philosopher from the University of Vienna. He says 98% of that mass was the product of chat GPT. 
that from our friends at KTLA. The mm-hmm. entire service was led by four different avatars, in fact, on the screen. Two young women, two young men. At times, the AI-generated avatar drew laughter as when it was used to give out platitudes and told the churchgoers with deadpan expression that in order to keep our faith, we must pray and go to church regularly. Now, we wanted to see if we could do this. So Ryan asked ChatGPT for a very short sermon dedicated to radio. And this is a segment, what we got. Greetings, beloved listeners, and welcome to this sacred moment in the realm of radio. Today we gather together, not for a physical space, but in the eternal airwaves that connect us all. It is here within the invisible threads of communication that the divine presence resides. In this mystical encounter with radio, and the radio God, let us open our hearts and minds to receive the wisdom and guidance that flows through these very airwaves. In the noise and the clamor of the world, the radio God does speak, offering solace, inspiration, and a source of comfort to us weary souls. Dear listeners, I want to remind you of the power of sound. Just as the great radio God preaches and preaches to us through invisible waves, so too does the voice of the divine echo through the vastness of creation. The harmonies of nature, the rhythm of life, the whispered prayers that rise from the depths of our souls are all part of the symphony of existence. And now, as we bid farewell to this sacred radio gathering, May the blessings of the Radio God be upon all of you, Shift Ads. Amen. Amen. <laughs> That's crazy. Trying to do it's my best all... with it. <laughs> I can tell you, I could, if you type that into ChatGPT, that's what you'll get. That's that is get. not bad writing. Uh, you know all. what? That is creative. I can't believe that ChatGPT did that. That, that is just I, pretty... awesome. I, I, I will say, I'm pretty sure Rush wrote a song about this in the 80s. Didn't they? <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much just what Spirit of the Radio is, right? Right, right. Oh, <laughs> yeah, man. It's it's that scary is stuff, good. right? Although, there you go. If you were a priest listening to the show and you're like, geez, I got a, I got a fill, I got a mass at five and I got nothing. There you go. Boop, boop, boop. There you go. That's all you need. That's how easy it is. Hey, Jonathan, did we uh, convert you? I think you did. <laughs> yeah. I think you, you've made me a, a, a radio follower of the Church of Radio. The Church of Radio from ChatGPT. Love it. I think we're all okay with that. Uh, let's move on to this. Are you okay with swimming pools? Oh, what I would do to be able to swim uh-huh. every day. Because there's no, it's Alberta. Nobody has swimming pools here because it used to not really? be hot all the time. And then, you know, climate change. And now it's 30 degrees every really? day. Yeah. So there's no swimming pools. Nobody has pools in their backyards here. Uh, when I lived in Ontario, I would just go visit my friend's pools. And it's it's my favorite, absolute favorite physical activity. And yeah, me is, too. It is just, it's relaxing. It's a good workout and it's refreshing. And it's probably the best part of summer is going to like a massive outdoor pool aside from the maybe the germs yeah you know what i love swimming pools too uh i go to an indoor pool once a week at least um mostly to enjoy some swimming but the sauna the uh, hot tub the whole works steam room but uh the swimming pool the smell of chlorine i love that and i thought that was kind of wonky but i've talked to other people that say yeah when you smell that chlorine that's great and uh it's like gasoline Right, it's a similar kind of like you shouldn't yeah. like the smell of it, but you do like the smell of it for an, an inexplicable reason. Or yeah, two-stroke oil exactly. when you uh, yeah. you know get out the mini bikes. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, certain odors do it, 
and swimming pools, uh, that's one of them. But by the way, I grew up uh, with outdoor pools and swimming lessons when it was cold, and they never heated those things. And I remember as a kid almost wanting to cry when you jumped into the swimming pool for your lesson. But yeah, I love them. Uh, Jonathan, what about yourself? Yeah, I love swimming pools. I love actually, I love that smell of chlorine yeah. because it it just gives you that that sense like oh, I'm in the right? swimming pool. And also, when you are at like some of the swimming pools that I've been to, it's really hot and humid because it's a wave pool. And I just like that that feeling. I remember when I was at Disneyland, uh, I was I was waiting for the Pirates of the Caribbean ride, yep. and you could smell the chlorine yeah. outside the door. You could smell it. And that's why I'm saying I, I thought that was wonky when I was, I thought I was the only person that loved the smell of chlorine. And I come across more people that, no, no, when you smell that, yeah, that's great. Uh, by the way, in BC, a Delta man found something that uh, you wouldn't expect to see in a swimming pool. He thinks it's something out of the world, and he's determined to get to the bottom of it. But experts say it's not likely anything extraterrestrial. Six o'clock Monday morning, Justin Broad was looking at his garden in his Delta home when something fell from the sky and made a huge splash into his pool. And I'm studying it. I'm like, that's sand. It's not solid anymore. And it's very heavy. I assumed it was a meteor of little meteor or something so the plan we decided um we're gonna drain the pool we called our pool guy we got the pump out here we started pumping it out so then i very gingerly went in there i made some extraction tools and we, we got a little tray maybe this is a scientific anomaly i don't know justin recorded the extraction and put the material on a tray to let it dry out i'm assuming that it came from space I mean, what else could it be? I don't know. We contacted an associate professor at the University of Calgary's Geoscience Department who looked at the video and helped us solve the mystery. And in his professional opinion... It looks like terrestrial mud. I mean, that just means mud from this planet. Professor Alan Hildebrand says there are some unusual meteorites that are made out of clay, but they look black or dark gray. His office has gotten several inquiries over the years. In 20 years, in terms of messages that came to my office, uh, at least one of those was a real meteorite. Over the years, we've accumulated a box of meteor wrong, so to speak. Okay, but this one... Yeah, just some mud. Fell out of the sky, but just some mud. And How does mud uh, fall by from the way, the sky though. Yeah, I know. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I understand. Like, the it. science says, yeah, but mud doesn't just like fall from a cloud. Well, yeah, I don't know. You hear these weird things that happen sometimes, like fish falling out of clouds, and mm -hmm. uh, just I don't know. But um, space rock. Uh, you know, the professor there, by the way, Professor Hildebrand said that iron meteorites, by the way, look like lumps of iron and some stone meteorites. Well, they have black or dark gray crust to them. So there you go. I don't know. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.